Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. My guest this week is Brenda Malone, COO of Raise, a micro-investing and savings app with over 371 millions of funds under management just at the end of March and around 600,000 users as well. Brennan has held roles at organizations such as RBS and ABM AMRO. Uh, we we're just chatting before, Brendan, about all this wackiness. How's isolation going for you so far? Oh, look, it's um, thanks for having having me on the uh, on the call, Jordan. Uh, isolation. It's actually good to talk to someone. Uh, yeah. um, but uh, from a, from a small business point of view, and, and, and raise, we are a small team, so uh, we are coming into the office. The guys that need to be in the office are coming in, so there is some uh, interaction with people. Uh, but those that can work from home, and I think that's a, that's a big thing. And you know, we had a chat earlier about the crisis that both you and I, because we're a bit older, have been through with the GFC yeah. and what that did on employment and also sort of the staff culture and and. Um, atmosphere in the office it's it's important that we all stay together and keep talking to each other and communicating even with our staff at home from from a mental health yeah. point of view yeah it's a, it's amazing how um everyone's in corporate speak and, and corporate land has has gone on about new ways of working for the past decade and then bang this thing sort of accelerated what would have been happening over the next five years anyway slack is everywhere like i think my dad who's <laughs> uh you know, bordering on uh, his mid sixties now was mentioning Slack yes, to me the other yeah. day. Um, sort of like when your parents take on using Uber, which is um, always always a good indicator of how perverse the technology is. But I, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and they were saying to me, "When do you reckon we're going to start shaking hands again once all this is over?" And I was just thinking, like, do you think how long do you think that sort of stuff will take to slingshot back? Do you think all the staff will come back into the office straight away? Um, I think so. I think so. I was walking down Pitt Street in Sydney the other day and I was listening to some two young girls on the corner um, and they said, oh, I didn't expect to see you today. I go, oh, you know, the idea of working from home was great. Three days into it, couldn't wait to come back into the office. Um, yeah. And I think that, and, and like with your first comment, we all knew that this would happen someday. This and, this, and the unfortunate of the pandemics forced us to make sure that we can work from home and, and there will be, I don't, personally, I don't believe that, office space and office works will never be the same again. Um, mm. And especially, you know, I talked to a few CFOs around the world um, and some of them are quite excited because travel costs, for example, um, 
you know, the front office guys were saying that I, I, you know, I'm traveling every week or every month. This shows the CFO or cost cutting or cost curtailment that there's no need for these expenses as often as they were. So I think, I think, A, staff do want or staff do need that interaction with each other. Um, So there, there will be a return to the office space in some shape, way, shape or form. But I don't know what will be normal. And even on the handshaking conversation, I've got a, he turned two, Thomas, my little fella turned two last Thursday and I've been teaching him to shake hands. Uh, And the conversation (laughs) at the dinner table, will he ever get to shake hands again? You know, I I like the handshaking. My father taught me a strong handshake. Um, What's going to be the new norm in that sense going forward? Yeah, I, I, I was, I think this person I was chatting to was saying that they think it'll be quicker to return that we think. I mean, I come from a, a Greek family, so hugging and kissing is uh, quite standard across everyone. And so that's the weirdest part for me is the lack of uh, even like handshaking, but just not being able to hug yeah. people is, is so, it's odd. It, it feels uh, sort of unnatural. Yes. But um, anyway, we can get into some more coronavirus stuff <laughs> later. I've, I've got to start off with your early, early career. Now, I was um, peeling through your LinkedIn profile. It's always fun looking at people's profiles, but it's quite obvious that you've got this extensive industry-focused acumen. I mean, you you studied at St. Francis Xavier College, Uni of Newcastle in Commerce. You're a member of both uh, the Australian Institute of Company Directors and the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants. I mentioned before that... um, Prior to raise, you were at Royal Bank of Scotland. I feel like RBS is probably your longest role amongst those tier one financial organisations. I guess I was curious as a COO now in a startup, what sort of been the obvious highlight and low light migrating from that world to the other? Yeah, good, good question. Absolutely good question. I think, uh, yeah, so I was with RBS for about 15 years and in that time it was the merger between the old NatWest in the UK and RBS and then RBS and ABN AMRA um, and then moving out to Asia Pacific with, Asia, with, with Royal Bank of Scotland. And I think the difference now running a, running a startup with George here is how quickly we can move. Um, and that's that's the, that's the main thing. I mean, we're a yeah. small team. We're, we're all energised. We're all enthusiastic. But there's no red tape. There's no legacy systems. And look, we've all heard this before. You know, you start up and all the, even these new new neo banks, the overheads that they will not have that the traditional uh, banks have is the old legacy systems. So they're starting fresh fresh piece of paper, fresh banking backbone as such. Things can get done quickly and efficiently, and and react to what our customers are asking for. That's, that's, mm. that's what I like. I mean, when we launched um, the old Acorns, which is now Raise, back in February 16, it took us three or four months listening to customers what they wanted and we, we built a, a socially responsible ethical portfolio called Emerald. The customers asked for it. Mm-hmm. We could build a whole new uh, portfolio within three months, do the tech, do the front end, get it up and running and offer it to our customers. What do you think that those older organisations do really well or have as their advantage? Look, I, I look at them now and I think the, um, the marketing and the, and the tr- I mean, trust is a hard one because at the end of the day, if we speak yeah. to people, they, they don't trust their banks, but they don't leave their banks. Um, you know, if yeah. we, if maybe things, I mean, we've had a, 
phenomenal. I'm very happy with the uptake of customers across on the old Acorns and, and, and now Ray's platform since we've been been running. You know, you said the sign-up numbers previously in the FUM. It, mm. Would it have been different if we were had the backing of one of the big banks or a brand that was trusted, you know, the Westpacs, the CBAs, the ANZ, the NABs? Would that have made a difference? Would more people have signed up because they know the brand? I mean, you know, are we are we a trusted brand from day one? No, you've got to build that trust, and that's something that we've yeah. had to work hard at. But if that's something that the banks have as an advantage when they do release some sort of new things, and we've seen a couple of the banks issue like products to us uh, in the, in this space, so they've got that trust already. I remember, um, I think last year I read uh, uh, it was like an industry updated industry primer on banking and the crossover with fintech. I think you're right. I think the acquisition cost is lower for fintech companies, neobanks, companies like Raise in comparison to a bank, but the lock-in time and the lifetime value is much higher at a bank. And it must be that sort of um, that human default mode that they manage to harness really well. Like you got to think about older generations that end up sticking around with XYZ product because they've known exactly. it. So there must be there must be something yeah, to yeah, that. Jordan, I think too, it's raise isn't a an all product. It's an and product. No, you know, and I, yeah. I, I still think. I mean, I've tested some of the neo banks, but guess what? I've still got the main core big bank bank account. Yeah, so same. I, you know, I will test it. Yeah. But with raise, it's a cool. You can stay with your bank, and I, I bank with NAB, so I stay with my bank. But I've got this sort of equity markets exposure through raise over here, so I can have both. Yeah. Um, and that's something that the neos out there and the fintechy banky style operations need to consider. What makes me change a hundred percent? And I, I think trust has a big game in that. Yeah. Well, what did you think you were going to be when you were a kid? <laughs> you sp- spoke about your two-year-old before. Uh, what? Uh, what do you? What did you think you were going to be when you're older? Made a vet. Okay. A vet, but I did not get the marks at school. I was uh, too busy playing on the sporting fields where when I couldn't. Uh, Growing up in Newcastle, and I didn't get the marks that I needed to do. Okay. To get into so, that. what? Why? Why a vet? Did you like? Did you have a pet or some? Or did you just have this fascination with animals? Several pets uh, over, yeah. the, over the lifetime. Um, you know, Mum got a bit upset the day I brought home mice and parrots and <laughs> things like that, and we had to send them back. But just, I just loved animals. Um, yeah. And we had a good family friend that was a vet. That's where I did my work experience in Year Ten with them, and I loved it. And he looked after the local koala reserve, so I, I was in there with that. I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. But yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get the marks to get into uh, veterinary science. Very nice. Um, all right, now I want to jump into your role as COO of Raise. You're responsible, I guess, for the day to day operations of the group's business. I understand you're quite focused on customers while also running quite a tight ship. Um, where where do you think your personality leads to a strong suit as a COO or operational type role? Um, I I like to be organised. Um, yeah. You know, even my wife is entertained with my routines and organisation and plan- <laughs> planning, but uh, I think that's what what I bring to this organisation in particular. You know, we've got a very strong CEO who knows what he wants and, and is one of the best executors I've ever worked with across, across my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's 100 miles of running, uh, but then I can then bring it down to the next level and go, okay, guys, let's get this organised, make sure it's in a logical, strategic manner, tick our boxes, and, and then away we go. Um, yeah. 
you know, being such a small team, it's kind of like one day I'm, I spend time on customer support, the next time I'm with the finance guys, next time I'm with the marketing guys. You know, I have a list and everyone laughs at me because it's a manually handwritten diary that I keep and I will take it to every meeting. <laughs> I, can, I can sit there and have a look at my list and go, right, this is what I'm doing today, but things change so quick. We are a small team. Someone might call in sick or someone's on annual leave. The cover's needed there. So mm. you, you've got to be able to sort of quickly pivot or change or adapt and sort of help out the team where it's needed. And, you know, we might get a random phone call that needs responding to. You know, we might have you know, something happen on the payment gateways, the KYC side. There's about four or five different parts of the business that potentially could something could go wrong and then that changes my whole day. Mm. Um, but very well organised and, and evidence handwritten for me, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I'm very conscientious so i can i i I like that sort of element as well i can imagine that um you've got all sorts of kooky little habits or processes that you have for certain things in your life you're saying before that your wife is entertained by them what sort of do you think the oddest habit that you have when it comes to organization (laughs) um it's just I just like to be organised. Like, you know, if we go to see my parents, we're driving to see my parents tomorrow night, tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. I'll pack the car tonight. She's like, I'll just do it in the morning. I'm like, no, let's just get it done now. Because <laughs> um, I don't know what's going to happen in the morning, especially with the baby. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's if I've got the time now, I'll organise it. And it's, it's like yeah. the guys here. Something happened the other day here and they all laugh at me because I have, um, I mean, the team's only small, but they're all, they're all younger than George and I. Mm. And... I will, we have a morning meeting to catch up and I take my book in and everyone else has got their phones and they're making notes and one of the guys' phones ran out of battery. Ha-ha. <laughs> Pad never runs out, does it, mate? No. <laughs> so it's sort of a running joke here in the office. Yeah. There is something to be said, though, about a book. Like I, I know I still – this is something that um, gets my partner. I'll read every night for about an hour. And like like yourself, I've got a journal that I'll note in during my day. Yep. But when it comes to reading, I'll always use um, you know actual books. I can't stand screens. Screens really bug me out. And so I've got this, and I'll scribble all through the books as as well when I'm making notes. So I've yep. instead of buying a Kindle, most, like most logical people, and saving money, <laughs> no, I'll spend twenty dollars on the physical book. The hard book, yes. Make my notes and then put them collate them all at the very front of the book so I can refer back to it. And uh, she finds that just absolutely hilarious that I don't just buy a Kindle. But um, well, Yes, Blinder's exactly the same and Blinder's a big reader. I'm not the biggest reader. Um, I mm. prefer numbers. Yeah. Um, so I, like Blinder will read, read a book in a week and it'll take me a month. But we both, <laughs> we both want physical books and even yeah. if we've got a massive bookcase and I'm quite proud of my bookcase. You know, all displayed nice and neatly up on the up on the up on the wall, and people do come and say, you know, there's a Kindle. You know, it's you can get it on your iPad, your iPhone. You, you don't need yeah, to buy yeah, books yeah. anymore. I'm like, no, I still like the physical books. Yeah, and they always think that you're they're educating you when they come up with that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know, <laughs> I yeah, get, exactly, I get it. But it's even um, my, even my diary that I keep. Um, yeah. you know, it's got a, a date or page in it, so I, I write mm-hmm. things most days. I can get, I can reference something from last week quicker than what these young guys can pull up on their laptops or phones. Mm. I, I just find that so much easier. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I'm thinking about your principles. You mentioned before, it basically sounds like you have to be 
uh, conscientious, but I guess willing to change. So one thing I've always struggled with is like being very organized. If something doesn't go to plan, I've had to really build that fortitude to be willing to accept that fact, you know, whether it's that I'm not going to get this thing done today, et cetera. So I guess I'm curious, like, you know, you've come from this role at RBS and MIG where you've been very operational roles, I guess you could say. Do you have any overarching principles for how you approach things? Uh, what I say to the guys here is there is nothing that cannot be fixed. Just mm. be upfront, be honest, and bring it to my attention or George's attention as soon as possible, and we can we can work through this. Uh, so that that's the number one thing. But it's it's you know, take a step back. If something doesn't go my way, and it, it it is starting to bubble over, I will walk physically around our block here in the in, in the Sydney CBD. Uh huh. Not only does it give me time to think, it just clears my head. Bit of fresh air, straight back in. Right, this is how we're going to attack it, guys. Yeah, um, and, and you know, I, I don't mind. Like I tell my guys, I said, guys, you haven't got up for an hour. Go for a walk. Yeah, um, it makes yeah. a hell of a difference. I'd agree with that. Meditation is very valuable for that. You, you, I was surprised how much even just ten to fifteen minutes um, sort of impacts me. It just gives you that sort of reset. You, you don't realize how much your nervous system takes in during no, the day. I don't exactly. think. No. Um, it, it's it's a very odd sensation after meditating. Exactly. My wife tried it. to get me onto it for a long time. I'm like, oh, I don't need that. And then <laughs> when you get into it, you go, damn it, she was right. I yeah. didn't need that. Yeah, it's very valuable. Yeah. When it comes to you as a manager, because, you know, at the end of the day, like you said, you're, you're putting into practice, whether it's you're managing people in different division lines, you're, you're putting into practice what this CEO strategically is thinking. And I can imagine as like a strategic role, his key goals may be very different. So I, I guess I'm curious for you, what are sort of the key indicators as a COO? How do you, how do you think about that sort of stuff? Well, George and I have a, a very good working relationship. We do speak to each other at all times of the night or day or whenever we need to. So... Mm. He will say, "This is what we. This is what I want. This is where we need to go." Because there's a few different channels or stakeholders that we, we've always got to consider. You know, number one are the customers and the, and, and the, the members of the raised community. Then now being ASX listed, we have the investor side as well, uh, and then there's the staff. You know, I can't. Mm-hmm. Burn, I don't want to burn them out. You know, by doing priorities or plans. So it's so, okay, George. What do we need to do? George and I speak seven o'clock every morning. Mm-hmm. We both have our long blacks together and we go, right, this is what we want to get done. What's the priorities today? What do you need to do? Um, and then we talk through it. So the communication side of it is important because then it's the com- com- communication that I then have to go out to the team and say, this is how we're doing it or this is what What do you guys think? And having mm-hmm. everybody, before we, everyone starts running off in different directions, it's like, right, guys, how are we doing this? Is the, the tech team involved? Is the compliance team involved? Does operations need to be involved? Customer support need to be involved. Let, let's think about this and get it right. Yeah. That's that's really interesting that the two of you every morning will have that catch-up um, over coffee. It's it's good to hear that sort of stuff. Uh, do, what do you think that you've learned in particular from George? Oh, lots of things. I mean, George and I have been together now five years since we uh, sort of – was it March 15 when, we, uh, when George got the joint venture agreement with the US to bring Acorns out here? Mm-hmm. Um, and he has taught me a hell of a lot, you know, and there's still more to learn. 
I might get in trouble for this, but he'd have 30-plus years in the financial <laughs> services and markets and everything like that. And, you know, he's done a lot of travel, worked overseas like I have. Um, I was London for a long time in Asia. He was New York and London throughout, back through Asia, back to Sydney. So we, mm. whilst we've both got different skill sets, we both know what we, what needs to be done or how it can be done. So every day I learn something off him. And I, I was only telling this, the younger guys in the team today, so I run everything past George. Mm. You know, we sit three metres from each other. George, I'm doing this. What, what do you reckon? And he'll, yes or no, mm. thumbs up, thumbs down. It saves me spending three hours doing something and then George going, hey, mate, that's not going to work. <laughs> um, yeah, and you learn very, very, you learn very quick because you don't have the time to sort of do things. And you know, I, I talk to other guys in the fintech community, and they may spend a lot of time building the tech side of things, but they haven't thought about the financial services regulation. Mm. You know, what to me, I get the regulation signed off first before I go and build it, right? Okay, um, because otherwise, you're wasting a lot of time and money, both to, like hours in the day plus resources. Lawyers. Yeah. In doing it without in the tech side, and then you go to the lawyers or you go to the compliance team, and they say cannot. Yeah. Speaking of um, tech and product team, I, I'm not sure if this is the case, but it seems like in a lot of these companies, you don't have a a daily functioning CIO because essentially you're building a tech product that acts as the CIO. So you know, with a with a robo investing platform, I know. You know, for you guys, you've created six portfolios. I think actually you got Dr. Harry Markowitz to create your portfolios, which is super interesting. How does that sort of work? Because you mentioned before that joint venture with uh, the US. How does sort of Harry or any other investment analyst work into the the six funds that you guys currently have under management? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll just start off. Probably it's probably easiest to start at the top or the beginning. Um, so Acorns was a business running in the US. Uh, right. they, they went live about twelve months before we sort of kicked off the, our planning and targeting here. And they had Dr. Harry Markwood's father of modern portfolio theory on the investment committee to sort of com- uh, do the white papers on their portfolios. So we, George and and, and Harry and, his, and Harry's team, got together to say, okay, these are the portfolios that you've created in the US on the ETF on the exchange trade funds market in the US. We need to replicate the same today in the, for the Australian market, all listed here on the, all quoted here on the ASX. Let's get into it. So George worked very closely with Harry and his team to get that done in the white papers. Those portfolios in both the US and Australia, are set. So mm-hmm. when we do build a new portfolio, and we're currently looking at, we're currently in the process of finalising the uh, Sapphire portfolio or the portfolio that will have Bitcoin in it here in Australia, mm-hmm. the investment committee gets together and, and works those the weightings of those ETFs in there to, and then that's set. So we would love to take the product down a path where customers at some stage in the future will be able to pick the weightings of their ETFs into a certain portfolio. But today's business is, it is set. It's a passive investment into these six portfolios. Yeah. I mean, that that's a, that's sort of something that you offer very far down the track. I feel like yeah, only exactly. recently, like uh, super funds have just started offering that. And even then, it's only like a certain portion of your portfolio that you can allocate anyway because of regulation. So exactly, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people need to consider that um, they're probably not going to be as wise as someone who spent their entire lifetime 
on this yeah. topic. You know, you, you always get a lot of armchair investors. So it's it's always interesting to see when people give feedback on certain ETF or portfolio mixes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, people say to us, and we see it in their actual behaviour in the app, we, they'll be in with us for three months uh, and the market's been was very well from the day we kicked off. And they said, cool, you've taught me about trading and investing. I'm going to go do it myself. <laughs> and then you see them come back sort of 30 days later and go, oh, yeah. Because not only, you know, you pick one of our portfolios and it has seven ETFs in it. So you're getting that exposure through seven different ETFs. If they go and buy each one of those seven ETFs on, say, a Comsec or a NAB trade or a platform, they've got to pay a brokerage for each actual ETF. Mm. Um, you know, I've been on panels and, and spoken at university and the, and the guys in the crowd will say, yeah, yeah, I can afford that. And then you go, okay, what happens when you want to withdraw your money out of those? You've got to pay brokerage on the way out as well. Yeah. And I go, Ooh, yeah, it's, okay. yeah. It's amazing how expensive brokerage can become oh. and then what that actually means to your underlying position yeah, well, in the yeah. long run. Yeah, your yeah. overall portfolio position, yeah. Like I was reading the other day that um, Buffett, a lot of the times will write or sell puts on a share so that he can save the cost in buying the share eventually uh, because it's just cheaper to write a put option and sell it to the market yeah. um, and then eventually buy it back at the price that it's it's dictated at, which he's happy to buy it at hmm. because brokerage can be so expensive. Oh. I mean, I, that that's a guy who's making like minimum deals in the tens of billions of dollars. So yeah. so that just goes to show how valuable that um, that sort of stuff can be. Yeah. Well, that, that's even that's you know part of the whole raise philosophy is people have got to be aware of where their money is going and small amounts do add up. You know, if you're paying, even if you go, okay, $5 brokerage here, five, but if you're doing five or six trades, that's $30, $25, straight away. So know where your money's going and small amounts do add up whether it's on the cost side or the income side or the, or the saving side. And it will compound a lifetime, that's for sure. Exactly. Well, you sent me an email this morning. <laughs> Obviously, a lot's happened in the last month, um, I think, with coronavirus being at the tip of everyone's tongue. I know operationally for you guys, operating as an investment system, the volatility in the market would have been immense and put a lot of pressure on systems it probably had your busiest few months in the last two months everyone talks about that friday which was it must be about three or four weeks ago i think it was when the grand prix was cancelled the fashion festival right. was cancelled the next morning i woke up I, that night actually that friday night we were talking uh with a few of the people at coin jar around liquidity because things had really kicked into gear. A lot of the uh, credit and bond markets were collapsing overnight. I think I read somewhere that uh, Airbnb is paying like junk bond prices now, um, which is just crazy when you think about it. Um, What's 2020 been like for you thus far? Oh, mate, I don't even think I can remember New Year's Eve. A lot's happened since then. Um, So stepping through January, February, March, um, very interesting times, very interesting times. I mean, we, we were, uh, especially with January, February, and uh, part of our acquisition or a main part of our acquisition seasonality is in that January because if everyone's got a New Year's resolution, well, not, most people have two New Year's resolutions. The first one is I want to get fit. 
they go join a gym, they start walking, they, you know, maybe st- uh, st- a couple of weeks or j- dry January. But the second one's always, I'm going to get um, my finances in order. Mm. You know, I'm gonna, what am I going to do this year? I'm going to save more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so traditionally, um, and this year there was, there was good acquisition, customer acquisition for us through the January and February, uh, beginnings of February, and it's about the 19th or the 20th when things really started to sort of look at volumes or customer inquiries toward the last week of February and then into March. Um, whilst we've been busy, uh, probably that in last week of Feb, early March, George got on the front foot and would send out sort of just sort of like, I won't, won't call them COVID updates, but it was more a CEO update on a weekly basis for a couple of weeks to our customers say, this is what's going on, this is what it means in the equity and the, and the financial markets. Mm-hmm. That was perceived very well from our customers. So, and it was kind of like a don't panic, remember the philosophy of raise small amounts over time consistently, no matter what the market does. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, we go back to the conversation where my wife thinks I talk to George more than I talk to her. <laughs> we were, we were, in some way communicate Saturday, Sunday, because, um, you know, the old saying, if America sneezes, Australia catches a cold, we'll see what the market does in US on a Friday night, so our mm. Saturday morning. And then we build up this process that if something did go wrong or, or the markets did t- a bit more volatility than normal on a Friday, we could get our systems together and, and then George will do a CEO release Sunday or Monday saying, hey, look, we know the markets are going to be volatile on Monday, but remember the philosophy and sort of educate why, um, mm. which, is, which is a massive part of our, our proposition, is about the education. So we got on the front foot. We would, we would communicate to our customers and, and preempt their, any, sort of their, any sort of their questions. So while the phones were busy, they weren't as busy as I would have expected George, we're actually looking at it now saying we did see some withdrawals from customers. We just try to work out and do the analysis. Say, are they the new customers that put in January, February and then withdrew or is it our existing customers? And our initial view is that the customers that have been with us for a long time are continuing to, to deposit and continue to engage with Raise. They've been educated over the period of their, their Raise account saying, Remember, small amounts over time, the importance of a savings function, whether it be a raise app or a, the old magical $1,000 emergency fund somehow. Mm-hmm. Those guys have stayed with us. Um, but I'm actually looking forward. I want to get in and uh, have a look at the quarterly review numbers um, mm-hmm. to see is it the longer ones that have stayed with us? Is it the new ones that have been stock market shocked? I mean, I remember yeah. my, my first share, share I bought. Um, and my dad always told dad said don't invest with your heart mate invest with your head but as a young 18 year old I was um, introduced to beer and Foster's was my first share I lost, <laughs> lost everything uh, well it didn't lose everything but the, 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 the old Foster's share price went down yeah. um, but that, I remember that that was my first experience into the stock market and yes I was hesitant in the next stock that I bought so with Raise, you're in there for as little as $5. You're getting exposure. We want that to be a, a, a good experience. Now, whether that's, what, that's why I want to look at the numbers and say the guys that came in end of February, March, and the market did do what the market did and, and there was high volatility, are they the guys that have withdrawn mm-hmm. um, and, and see how we can sort of re-engage with them and, and say, hey, you know, small amounts over time consistently and give a better experience in the market. That would be really 
Interesting. And I wonder whether you guys have considered making that into content around which cohorts perform in certain types of cycles or certain uh, areas and use that as sort of like a, a way of educating people that the way that you're acting now is is going to have these implications if you continue to do this uh, for the next 20, 30 years. That'd be really interesting. Right. I'm, I'm sitting in the in the meeting room now on the whiteboard and that is one of the tasks. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get more excited with as, as the business goes on and the, the customers are more and there's more transaction behavioural, I'm appreciating more now what the data can tell us. And I'm starting to get excited on what we can actually see. And even like when I said about the seasonality of the customer acquisition, it's kind of like if I said to you when would be the best time to – when do you think we'd have our most sign-ups, you might go around tax time or – but as soon as you go New Year's Eve resolution, get fit, save money, you kind of yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, the data's there and when we start to – get into this data and it's, you know, things are just so busy I haven't spent as much time on it as we would have liked, you kind of look at the data and go, that makes sense. Didn't yeah. think it, I wouldn't have thought of that, but the data goes, yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. I can understand the behaviour, the actions of what, cust- what our customers are doing. I, w- I would have assumed that there wouldn't have been an actual peak. I would have assumed it would just be consistent over the year, but – you know, there's always, I guess there's always going to be peaks in certain industries, no matter what. Yes, um, yeah. And I think when you mentioned tax time, that would be the first assumption I would have as well. Mm. Because, you know, people come into money, but then again, it's sort of like that gambler's fallacy, right? When people oftentimes come into more money than they've expected or um, they've got that sort of little bonus, yes. oftentimes they lose it quicker than they realise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So maybe that can be your next marketing campaign. For, uh, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> even like, it's even like, oh, you know, we'll come up with some sort of campaign around November, December. And, you know, if I'm at, if I'm at a Sunday barbecue with you, Jordan, and I say, hey, got this great app, rah, 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 and you go, kind of, well, things are a bit tight for December. I've got to buy the kids Christmas presents. I've got to travel to see my family. I'll deal yeah. with that next month. So we, we, we know that December is not the best customer acquisition thing. And you go, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm curious, you know, I was reading about just in the nature, I think a lot of people in the finance space uh, are often in tune with what's going on in the world. Um, the nature of the work and the agency we run specializing in the finance space, I think I first started taking notice of coronavirus probably end of December when it first started appearing on uh, Reddit. And I guess from your perspective, when did it first come to your attention and when do you think that you first took it seriously and realised then that this was the new normal? Yeah, I think we definitely spoke about it in December here uh, with George and our board uh, because um, we have, with with the Ray's business and uh, the strategic plan that we have, we've launched in Indonesia and, and about to launch in Malaysia. So both George and myself and a few of the other guys were doing a fair bit of travel mm-hmm. um, up into the Southeast Asia region. So mm-hmm. we, we spoke about it in December. We got, yep, keep an eye on it. Then George was in Jakarta in January mm-hmm. um, and that's when it started to go, right, this is starting to get serious. Um, you know, some of the unnecessary travel through January, February, March, we sort of cut straight away. Um, I was up in Malaysia in February, 
just conscious of where I was going, who I was meeting. Um, and with the business here in Sydney as well, we get a lot of people coming from externally um, who would like to meet up and have a chat. And it's kind of like, okay, who are we meeting? Let's have a think about this because it's all about the safety of not just me or, or George or I in a meeting with them. It's people coming to our office and we've got the other staff here. So it was probably January, early January was when we started to go, let's keep an eye on this. Um, and George is, George is very well versed on the whole financial market side, so he could see it as well. Mm. Um, and it, it was one of his key concerns and risks definitely in January. Yeah. Do, do you think, because a big thing now is that people are speculating on when this will end. I'm not going to ask you when you think or how this will end, but I, I'm curious because a lot of businesses that we speak to have now realized, okay, this is the new normal. I need to market um, appropriately in this time, but I also need to move resources if I have them towards the goals and planning that we would have been doing across the entire year. Like I know internally at our business, we've look to achieve our quarterly goals in the space of two weeks as opposed to the actual quarter because new sales is just not really happening in our yes. industry. So I guess for you um, as an executive team, how are you thinking about planning and the rest of this year? It's, um, look, we, I, again, we talk with our, more importantly with our tech and the dev guys every night. Um, every afternoon and we say, okay, what's the priority? What's a nice to have and what's critical? Um, mm-hmm. And there's been a rejig in what I call our car park. So every, every idea, every thought, every plan, we have a car park and the car park can be broken down to immediately and things like that. Let's have a rejig. What's important, what's critical and what's going to help us come out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Ray's launched uh, five days ago because I got day five, I think it was Sunday we launched out, a sort of ISO education series. Okay. You know, a month ago we wouldn't have thought about that. But yeah. the marketing team put together a five-day. So there's five days and each of them had some sort of financial market literature on it or education on it with an action point. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of customers and a lot of uh, members of the raised community sign up to that. And so each day at 10 o'clock they get education number day number one, education day number two, day number three. So it's, you know, that needed some help from both the tech side, the marketing side, even the customer support input to make sure that any questions that would be, are, would be raised from customers were answered in that communication to start with. So it's mm. let's sit down, let's go, okay, what's going to help us get through this from a, and, and where are we spending our money in particular from the cash resources? What do we need to spend today? What, well, what can be delayed or, or push down the push down the road a bit when you know, if there is some sort of normal comeback? Yeah, so it sounds like instead of just prioritizing getting all your goals that you had before all this, it's just okay prioritizing what is going to make the business evolve during this? Yes, um, which makes a lot of sense. Look, there's there's a lot that I could keep going with, and there's many questions I want to keep going with, but I, I do need to jump into to our rapid fire questions to finish things off. Um, so you didn't tell first me one, rapid fire. Yeah, <laughs> they they are they are rapid, but they're also very basic. So let's let's see if you get stuck on any of these. Oh dear! Oh dear! Um, what, what do you want to do once all this is over at the end of coronavirus? What's the first thing you want to do? Take my wife out for dinner. Okay. Yeah, that's saying that I've missed a lot. Yes. Restaurants. Yeah. I never thought I'd say that, but yes. No, 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 no. 
morning and evening routine. What does that currently look like at the moment? Uh, depending on Thomas and his sleep patterns at the moment, I try and do some sort of exercise either by myself or with the dog, five o'clock every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my evening uh, is I get home from work as soon as I can to spend time with Thomas before he goes to bed. And that's mm-hmm. usually he's got his little Lego zoo downstairs. So we go to the zoo together <laughs> and then we have a shower. Okay. And do you, what do you sort of uh, been watching uh, doco-wise, movie-wise, to sort of decompress at night? Because uh, of date nights now gone with, with Belinda, we do, well, we did anyway, most nights we try and watch an episode of something together. Okay. Um, and we've got that both our stand and our Netflix. But we have just finished the last season of Blacklist and we've started okay. the third season of Ozark. Ozark, yeah. I just oh. finished um, Ozark. Did you say Blacklist? Blacklist, yes. Yeah. I've not seen that yet, but I have seen the promo clips for it. Yeah, I've just been wondering. There's about nine seasons of it, and we we enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll have to I'll have to check that check out. out. Um, what do you think has been the best purchase? Probably under two hundred dollars. That's helped you so far during this period. It could be like a a toy, a game, an exercise item. It could be anything that you like, really but something under $200 that's kept you entertained? Well, nothing that's kept – I haven't actually bought anything for myself, but Thomas's birthday last week, we did get him a scooter and that has entertained me no end. <laughs> Not only entertained me from the times that I'm working from home, but also entertained him. Yes, there's been some spills as well. What was that like? What did you do for birthdays? Because I've got my uh, birthday coming up and it's quite obvious that it's going to be with no one else but my partner. Yep. So what what did you do there? Did you just have like a little Zoom call yeah. with the family? 100%. It's like we talked earlier. Like I've got my parents in Newcastle. I've got her parents in um, Sydney here, my sister in Newcastle, her brother, all on a um, – it was an Instagram call. My brother lives on the Gold Coast, so we included oh, him yeah. as well. It was everybody saying happy birthday to him. Okay. Very yeah. cute. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah. Well, look, um, Brennan, thanks for coming on. Uh, it is interesting times, but um, I think during this time at least it's quite obvious that businesses like Ray's were able to be able to be a bit more agile and excel during this period. So, um Thanks for coming on and giving us some insight into what it is that you do. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, look, thanks, thanks, Jordan, for the opportunity to get on here. Um, Ray, so the, the, the website's just www.raiseinvest.com.au, uh, but if you plug Raise Invest into uh, your browser, you'll come up and that's R-A-I-Z. And, mate, look, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been great to chat. Yeah. And your you, – what – Social media? Do you think you're most active on? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter? No, look, we we do a Twitter, and I, I quite like the Twitter of the morning because we put our own little spin on what the market's going to do today, and and that's a combination of George and Harrison. Uh, yeah. So that's quite that's quite good. Uh, but we're starting to get more active. Facebook's always been very good for us, uh, and Instagram. But this week, uh, I, I think I'm too old to say this. TikTok. <laughs> We're having a look oh, at TikTok, gosh. and I haven't actually downloaded it yet. But the team are having some entertaining conversations and and uh, planning on getting TikTok out there. God, so I'm, I'm yeah, I've been, I've been conned into a few TikToks by our partner. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's fun though. I'll have to have a look. What's your TikTok? Yeah. 
No. I don't have. I mean, I do have it. Um, <laughs> it is. God, I can't, I can't actually remember. I downloaded this thing like probably six months ago. We made a few while we we're in Japan, and then uh, I haven't really Perfect. touched it since. But yeah, it's literally at Jordan But my partner made one recently. It was hilarious. She's cool. got me, you know, she's really into the dances. So anyway. <laughs> one, yeah, of our, is, one of our staff members well into it, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what they come up with. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brennan, thanks for joining. Great. Jordan, thank you very much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G O M A R K E T S. Until next time, thanks for listening.